So today we're going we're gonna to just kind of jump into, um, I think, an important topic. Uh, it's a controversial topic in today's strange, strange world that we live in. And so I'm going to be extremely candid with you. There's going to be moments where you can see that I get irritated because this subject uh, bothers me. The subject affects me deeply. And we're going to talk about fatherhood, and we're also going to talk about masculinity. And that's the subject that gets on my nerves a lot because not only do we live in a culture that can't figure out which gender it is, um, we struggle to accept... What I feel we struggle to accept is biblical definitions of masculinity for all kinds of reasons, right? We struggle to accept them. Uh, we want to change definitions constantly. We want to reorder things so that maybe life is more convenient. But the problem is, is we just make life messier. We, lay, and we make it far more confusing for everybody around us, especially those as fathers or as men that we're supposed to be uh, shepherding or leading. And so we're going to look at this. So in a, in a world that often uh, offers conflicting messages about masculinity, uh, it is essential that we go back to God for the answer, okay? And we have to understand God's answer fully or rightly because I think half the problem believe it or not, comes from the church and misunderstandings of masculinity as well. The Bible provides valuable teaching and examples that can inspire us, uh, inspire men specifically to embrace their identity as men of faith, as men of love, as men of strength, as men of humility, and a myriad of other things. So we're going to jump into this today and we're going to kind of take a journey through what it looks like to... Um, some components of biblical masculinity, and honestly, the power that it has to transform us and those around us. The first thing that we need to do is we need to compare uh, biblical masculinity from the modern culture's ideas, okay? And so this is where most likely Nathan's going to get all, all hot and bothered. Anyway, so um, masculinity in the Bible and masculinity in the modern culture are not always divergent, so it's really important to know that. There are differences, but there are also similarities. It's important to note that interpretations on masculinity can vary among individuals, can vary among religious groups, denominations, right? People struggle with this uh, from church to church. And so we're going to kind of do a little bit of a highlight of some things, and we're going to ask a question on whether this is biblical masculinity or whether this is cultural masculinity. But I wish it was just that simple. I wish it was just a dichotomy. I wish it was biblical or, or cultural. But what you're going to find is that we actually have four at play here. We have biblical masculinity, we have cultural masculinity. We have stereotypical biblical masculinity and stereotypical cultural masculinity. And these are very important to distinguish because a lot of the time the world is giving a critique of the church and saying this is what you guys promote as masculinity and we're all going, no, that's not at all what the Bible says. That's not what we've said at all. But we get these kind of labels and we get these caricatures made of us. And sadly, the church is guilty of this too. We say, well, the world is looking for this and the world is saying that. But if you do any actual listening to the world, you'll find that they might not be saying what you think they're saying. 
they're often not saying the things that I hear criticized. So we're going to look at the contrast here. And we're going to do it in sections. So the first one, which is on the screen, is leadership and responsibility. Leadership and responsibility. The Bible portrays masculinity as involving uh, leadership roles and key responsibilities. Guess what? That's true. That's true. Men are responsible and men are called to lead. But here's where it goes crazy. That does not say to the exception of all women. Do you notice this? It's very important for us to understand this. It does not say in the Bible that men have a responsibility to lead and that men have a responsibility to, um, to uh, shape people around them and yet women just should sit down and do nothing. It's not what the Bible says. That would be a caricature of biblical ideas. And it becomes a problem because it causes many people to fight over these things. But we're dealing with fathers. We're dealing with men right now. And so men are often depicted as leaders in their families, in communities, and in religious contexts. You know why? Because you're supposed to be. You're supposed to lead in those areas. Again, not to the exclusion of everything else, but you have a responsibility to jump into those places. This includes providing for and protecting your family, as well as being responsible for their actions, providing for and protecting your church family, and being responsible for their actions. This is all key and part of what it means to be a biblical man. Now, in modern culture, there has been a shift towards recognizing that leadership and responsibility are not exclusive to men. But notice what happens in the culture. For the culture to think they're making a shift, what do they believe our worldview is? They believe our, view, our, our worldview, they believe that our position is men alone. Now, who created some of that problem? We did, right? We created some of that problem. So what happens is when you watch people and you watch their reactions, you can understand, this is really important for your interpretation of friends and family and all these things, you can see what a person believes about what you believe by how they react. The culture is reacting against men are the only ones allowed in leadership for a reason, and that is partly because we have promoted this kind of idea, right? Now, we can talk all day long, and we have spent weeks and weeks and weeks, about a year ago, talking through Paul, talking about biblical views of women and wives and what their responsibilities are, and I encourage you to go back on the podcast and listen to that whole entire series. There's a lot of good stuff in it, a lot of important topics to talk about, but it's important to realize that the culture is making a shift because they think something of us. Many people believe that leadership should be based on individual qualities and skills rather than on gender. How many of you would agree with that? How many of you want somebody to lead who's competent not just because they're a woman or not just because they're a man? You should want that and you should be equal, uh, an equal opportunity offender when the culture today moves towards kind of pushing for um, quotas, right? The world today loves to move towards quotas. They say, well, we have, we have 10 strong men leaders in our company, and we need 10 strong female leaders in our company. Here's what a fair-minded individual should say. I want 20 competent leaders in my company. I don't just want a mix, because there's no point in the mix, 
right? Unless you're just patting yourself on the back thinking you're very kind and loving and all this other crap, right? Okay, I'm, I'm starting to get fired up. Anyway, okay, so... So, right, so there's a growing recognition, though, of, of what we would call gender equality, but what we should be after is a growing recognition of skill equality. If you are equally skilled, I want you. I want you there. I want you driving. I want you pushing. I want you doing the stuff. Why? Because I just want the good people doing the good stuff. Amen? Right? That's what we should be after. Okay, So the society is pushing against something that the church has p- played a part in, in pushing against. What we should be, again, is this really important line. And that is we should be people who care about the qualities and the skills of a person rather than their gender. This is reminiscent of this idea of saying, I want an equal opportunity for everyone. I just don't want necessarily an equal outcome for everyone, right? Do you know the difference in that? So an equal opportunity for everyone says, hey, if you want to take a stab at this, go for it. But here's the problem. If you fail miserably at it, it's not you, right? It's not for you. Stop. Don't try to push yourself into that position. Can I get a little bit of an amen on this, right? This should govern the church as well because we are looking for skilled and competent people to do jobs. What you won't find at this church, though, is people that say, I'm only looking for skilled and competent men to do those jobs. I want skilled and competent. I don't care what gender you are. I want you to be able to do well at what you do. And the important thing there is that that will help the church grow. This is why in ancient times, elders were not just elders, meaning there's the guy who's the old fuddy-duddy at the city gate, and he's telling people what to do. Now, don't miss it. In Israel, the older men would sit at the city gate. There's, there is cultural realities here, okay? But what I want you to understand is the older men and the older women both taught the younger, And there's an importance to what they do, okay? So we have these cultural issues. And when it comes to masculinity, what we should be is a people who are leaders and people who are responsible. And we should be a people who welcome anyone who is going to lead and anyone who is going to be responsible. Amen? That's our responsibility. That's our job. Number two, courage and strength. The Bible frequently highlights masculine virtues such as courage and physical strength. I'm highlighting physical strength. I'm going to come back to it a little bit later. Men are portrayed as warriors and defenders. How many of you know that? Warriors and defenders. This is a very important thing. And this is exemplified by all kinds of characters in the Bible. Say you've got King David, for example, or maybe Samson, right? It's an odd example, uh, you know, but I thought his long hair was cool. So anyway, so David and Samson, right? So courage and strength are often associated with masculinity in biblical narratives. But again, keep this filter in your head. We're talking about physical strength right now, okay? Because when we talk about mental strength or spiritual strength or emotional strength, it is very important to realize the same rules don't always apply. Jordan Peterson once said that uh, if you put the strongest woman in all the world in the room, in a room, the strongest man in all the world will always still be stronger physically. Do you know that that's just a reality? The strongest woman, that's fine. She's probably stronger than me. 
But she's not going to be stronger than the strongest man, but we're talking physically. But what happens in the church is we paint this picture that says, women are the weaker vessel. How many of you have read that passage? Women are the weaker vessel. You need to learn what this means before you go freaking out and telling every woman she's not as strong as you. Because they're most likely more emotionally, more, uh, more mentally, most likely more mentally strong than you, right? And they're going to be able to work circles around you. Why? Probably because they've sat and thought about it longer than you have as you've run your head into a brick wall, guys. Okay, right? Like, come on. So, so what, I want you to, what, you, what I want you to understand is that right now with courage and strength, I'm talking about physical courage, physical strength in, in hard situations. In the modern culture, while physical strength and bravery are valued, right, in certain contexts, how many of you want uh, cowards being your police officers? No. You don't want that. You want strong people being those people, right? So we're talking about, in certain contexts, there is a broader understanding that masculinity encompasses, encompasses emotional strength, vulnerability, mental resilience. Now listen, this is cultural ideas. There is an increasing recognition that men, like everyone else, can experience a range of emotions and should be encouraged to express them. That's the cultural shift because the culture believes that biblical ideas mean men don't cry. Have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? I'm serious, right? We're going to get, again, more detailed into this in just a second. But if you look at King David, this dude cries more than any human I've ever met in my life, okay? And guess what? He's still the man after God's heart, right? The problem that we have when we talk about masculine definitions is that we allow culture to define it too much, even in the church. And so we say, you know what the best thing for men to be? Stoics. Don't cry. Don't budge. Don't move. Don't this. Don't that. Fine. If you're not wired that way, don't. I don't care. But I'm not wired that way. I'm going to get passionate. I'm going to start freaking out and punching you in the eye, right? You know, like there's something else that goes on inside of Nathan than everybody else, right? So, so it's really important that while the world is trying to push back and tell men they can experience a range of emotions, God, since Genesis 1, has said, I built you with a range of emotions. I never had a problem with that. It's the culture and the church that has shifted those things in many ways out of us. And we've got to be careful with it. Number three, gender roles and expressions. Please hear what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the role genders play. I'm not talking about you playing make-believe, okay? So the Bible represents or presents certain gender roles and expectations for men. It often emphasizes the importance of men as providers and protectors. We've just talked about that. Why is that so important? If you take the strongest woman in all the world and you put her next to the strongest man in all the world, she's still at some point going to need protection, right? Isn't that true? And that's, that's a part of our makeup. That's a part of why we were built this way. It often emphasizes the importance, again, of protection. While women are depicted as nurturers and caretakers, traditional gender roles are often reinforced in biblical teaching. Now, all we're talking about there is nurturer versus versus protector. But here's where the culture goes way off the reservation on this, right? The modern culture says, well, we need to be aware of a diversity of gender identities and expressions. 
That's irrelevant, guys. Do you have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes? That's what you is, right? That is what you are, okay? You, you have to deal with those kinds of things. Now, are there issues that we deal with inside of ourselves where we, we, we relate more to this person or that person or this gender or that gender? Fine. There are times when you're going to feel those certain ways, but please don't get confused about reality, right? Many people are challenging in the world, are challenging traditional gender roles and advocating for gender equality. But what they want is equality of outcome, not equality of of opportunity. And so we've got to get back to this. Modern masculinity encourages individuals to define their own roles and reject rigid rigid societal expectations based on gender. The world is saying, here's what a modern masculine mind does. Reject roles, reject rigid societal expectations, and do what you please. There can be a huge problem with this, okay? Because basically it is you do what's right in your own eyes. Have you ever read Judges? (laughs) Right? You should read it again, right? This is all they ever did was what was right in their own eyes, and it became dangerous, okay? So while we talk about things like gender roles and expectations, we should talk about this hot-button phrase that is known in our world today called toxic masculinity. How many of you know the phrase? Everybody, all the guys are like, son of a gun. Anyway, okay, right? Toxic masculinity. I heard this phrase, and it is something that I am going to say repeatedly. Very important. If it's toxic, it's not masculinity. How's that for you? If it's toxic, it's not masculinity. Misogyny? Violence in a wrong way, and I'll go into detail on this in just a second. Bullying? Those things are not toxic masculinity. They're just toxic. Do you understand that? Like, that's, it's really important, okay? For a man to step in and simply say, I'm going to defend my family, does not make him toxic. It doesn't make him part of the dreaded patriarchy, <laughs> right? It doesn't make him anything. It makes him a man. It makes him good, okay? So I've shared this many times when it comes to what men should be and what men should not be. And years ago, I started with this analogy. And uh, as is with all things, uh, I find people that communicate things even better than I do, right? So I used to always say that, uh, that meekness, as far as Christians go, and especially with men, meekness is defined as power under control. And so my image was always, uh, my question was always, which is stronger, a tame horse or a wild horse? And it's a trick question because both are the same strength. The question is, which is more useful, right? The tamed horse, it's power under control. This is what it means to be a good man, power under control. Now, Jordan Peterson, again, has come out and said this in a, in a fascinating way, and I, just, I, I love the guy, and I love the things that he says, but, um, but one of the things that is really important for what he says is that he says men should be violent and then learn how to control it. Do you know what that means? Men should be able to be aggressive. Men should be able to take out the bad guys. And men should then learn to control it. And here's the justification for it. Here's the reasoning around it. Do you know what it means to be a good man? Do you know what it means to be a good man? 
Would you say that a good man could stop the bad guy from hurting his family? Would you say that's a good man? That would be absolutely a good man. Do you know what it takes to be a good man then? The ability to stop the bad guy. You have to be able to be violent. If you are not strong, if you are not able to fight, you are not able to be good. What, Nathan? Forget you. You're telling me really bad things. No, you can't stop anybody. You can't do anything worthwhile. So how can you effectively do good? You can't do good. So what you should be is an extremely aggressive, violent individual and then learn to control it. And then learn to control it. Otherwise, what you are is the guy that's going to get his butt kicked when his family gets taken advantage of too. That's not good. Don't confuse yourself. Don't confuse yourself. This idea that, that pacifism is the way or this idea that, that gentle meekness, a.k.a. weakness, is the way is missing the point. If you look at David, you see a guy who expresses every range of emotion. You see a guy who's passionate in his faith for the Lord, so much so that he's dancing before God almost naked. And then you've got this guy who is also a man of war. Why? Because he's a good man. He knows what is required of him in his life. So toxic masculinity needs to be re-understood. If it's toxic, then it's just toxic. It's not masculinity, okay? Number four, relationships and respect. This is the last comparison. The Bible emphasizes the importance of love and respect and fidelity within relationships. Men are encouraged to love their spouse, to their children, their neighbors, and to treat others with kindness and dignity. In modern culture, there is an increased emphasis on uh, what they would call maybe a healthy egalitarian relationship. That would be mutual respect. Is mutual respect biblical? Yeah, so what are they fighting against? I don't understand. Mutual respect is biblical. Emotional intelligence. Should you be smart emotionally? All of you should be. All of us, men and women, should be emotional. I don't know what they're fighting against, right? Emotional intelligence. Open communication. Just wives. How many of you would like open communication? Don't lie to me. Just raise your hand. Open communication. Yes, you would like open communication. This is really important. Men, you're called to it. You're not just called to open your mouth when you're complaining, okay? So this is really important, right? Okay, so, or when you're burping, maybe, whatever it is. Okay, so anyway, so open communication, these are all valued as components of masculinity. They're biblical as well. There is a greater focus in today's world, and I believe rightly so in, in, uh, in reaction to many bad things that have occurred, there's a greater focus on things like cons consent, a greater things on, a greater emphasis on making sure you can sympathize with somebody or building meaningful connections. I think that this is something men need to work on. So that's just a, a push there. It's important to recognize that these are general observations, right? Again, the interpretations change and the practices uh, of churches vary across the board. But we need to understand the difference between the culture and the church, okay? So let's look at what it means to go home and to be a godly father, to be a godly man, all of these things. Number one is the call to lead that includes life-giving service. A call to lead that includes life-giving service. 
In the Bible, we encounter numerous examples of men who led with servants' hearts, right? Humbly surrendering their lives, all to fulfill what? God's purpose for them and for others around them. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. And last I checked, Jesus was what? He was a man, okay? And so if Jesus is a man and Jesus sets an example, then masculinity has an example, right? And that is Christ himself. And so he demonstrates this when he lays down his life for his friends. Check out what Philippians says. It's very powerful. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Start there. Who has the ultimate trump card in the world? Jesus does. And what does he do with his ultimate trump card? He doesn't walk around going, I'm the man, shut up and do what I say. He doesn't say that. Because that's not masculinity, that's toxic. Okay? What he does is he lays this aside, and this is really important. He lays it aside, equality with God, thing not to be grasped. He empties himself, empties himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, what that first line say? Have this attitude in yourselves. If you want an example of biblical masculinity, you don't have to look further than Jesus, and I would recommend that he's always the one to go to. David made mistakes. Job made mistakes. Paul made mistakes. Jesus does not, okay? And so what does he do? He humbles himself. Now, this doesn't mean take advantage of one humbling themselves. So this is just a side note for moms, women in general. You don't manipulate the situation, and men do this a lot, uh, but you don't manipulate the situation and then say, well, you're supposed to humble yourself, you're supposed to come under, you're supposed to serve even to the point of death. This is not how you get where you want to go. What you do is you can remind your husband a lot of things, but you have to allow them to be shaped by God and his spirit. Everybody in this room can say this after me. I am not the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Okay. You are not the, the effector of change in the hearts of men and the hearts of women, the hearts of husbands and the hearts of wives. That is the Spirit of God. You can be a helper inside of that and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. My husband, my wife is struggling with this, and I need you to intervene in this situation. But you allow the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God does, right? So Jesus leads with this servant's heart, right? And he tells us that we're supposed to put on this attitude. He teaches us that true greatness lies in humble service, not in asserting dominance or power over others. And as long as the men of the church continue to miss the argument, we're going to continue to have the problem. The idea here is love and serve and care and strengthen and defend and build up and make, make a platform and a stage and a daggone castle for everybody in your life from which to launch, right? Make this for them and give everything that you can to them. That's what makes for a good man. That's what makes for a good husband. 
As men, we are called to follow in Christ's footsteps. We lead with love, we lead with compassion, and ultimately, we lead with selflessness. We are looking to God and his will and way more than we are our own. Number two, strength rooted in God's power. Strength, yet again, is another fundamental aspect of masculinity, and the Bible portrays it in all kinds of ways. Godly strength is not merely physical. So back to this, right? We can argue about the strength uh, of men and women, but what you can't do is jump into these kind of uh, absurd traditional church mindsets that that hold ideas like, you know, women are more gullible than men, or women are just less intelligent than men. You know what's really sad about that and what's really ironic? Is that those men were so gullible to believe a fake teaching that they still hold to it today. Isn't it ironic how that works? It is not true that women are weaker intellectually than men. It's not true. It's not true that women are weaker emotionally than men. I literally heard a woman say on YouTube on this interview, she said, when with men, it's much easier to follow them because emotionally they're stable every day, whereas with women, you get a different one every day. That is the biggest crock of crap I have ever heard. Are there emotional fluctuations? Yes. Follow me around in a day. You'll get a different me every hour, right? I don't know what, I don't understand this idea. But here's the funny thing. The gullibility of people to believe this stuff is just unreal. And so we have entire churches saying, don't. Don't let women lead. Don't let women teach anybody. Why? Because of a misunderstood passage in Scripture, and we're going to tell you because they're going to mislead you. Look, Eve misled Adam. That What? Adam was stupid, okay? Can we all say that together? Adam was stupid. And then when stupid happens to you, here's what I want you to say with me. I was stupid. Can you say that? I was stupid. That's probably the first time some of you have ever admitted it. But anyway, it's really important. So strength rooted in God's power. Strength is this fundamental aspect of, human, uh, of masculinity. And again, it's portrayed in various forms. But it encompasses emotional, mental, and spiritual fortitude. Psalm 27.1 reminds us, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Right? We are a people who our strength and our understanding is rooted in God's power. So, as men, our strength lies not merely in our own abilities. You should be strong. You should be violent. You should be able to control it. Right? But it is not merely in your own abilities. It is our dependence on God's power. If you want to lead your family well, you should show them what a praying father looks like. If you want to lead your family well, you should show them what a studying, learned father looks like. Do you hear me? If you want to lead your family well, it doesn't mean, hey, the religious things, that's all mom's doing, so she'll drag us all to church. No, 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 no. That right there is just cowardice. Is that a manly trait? It's not. It's not. 
So as men, our strength lies not merely in our own abilities, but a dependence on God's power, which through faith we can find the strength to overcome challenges, support others, to stand firm, all in the face of any adversity we face. This is what we're called to do as godly fathers or godly men. This is what masculinity means according to the Bible. Number three, integrity and righteousness. Integrity and righteousness are foundational qualities for godly masculinity. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blameless are their children after them. Now, I know what some are thinking. They're like, have you met my kids? That's not my fault. (laughs) Um, Some of that might be your fault. Some of that might be your kids grow up and they do their own things. But while you have influence... And as long as you're breathing, you have influence. While you have influence, you should be a a guardrail for your children or for your adult kids. You should be the one who goes to them and says, is that how a godly person lives? Is that what we're supposed to do? And talk to them. It's okay. I I hear fathers, I, I hear this a lot, and this is really challenging to me. I hear fathers say, my kids are old, they've gone, I don't have a voice in their life. Make one. Make one. You can pick up the phone too. It's an amazing thing, right? Pick up the phone. Call them. Say, hey, I just wanted to talk to you. Understand this, that 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 inroad into, into influencing them in all these different ways, it might take time. Especially if you, and please don't hear condemnation here. Please hear what I'm saying. Especially if you've neglected it all your life or all their lives, rather. If you have, it's okay, start now. But make that conversation start. Push into that reality, okay? Men are called to walk in righteousness, to uphold honesty, justice, moral integrity, all of this, and it involves living according to God's commands and being accountable for our actions. You want to know one of the most godly, masculine, fatherly things that you can do? In front of your children, accept correction from your wife. I know Jerry just looked at me like, nope, I'm leaving this church, never coming back. Right? No, he didn't. But it's it's really, really important that you look and you go, yeah, I missed it on that one. I missed it on that one. Why? Okay, I have four daughters. What do I want them to grow up and look for? I I want them to grow up and look for a man who is going to be humble enough to admit when he's wrong, but strong enough to kill the world over her. Right? That's what I want. But you have to be both. And you have to be able to admit when those wrongs are there. So it involves living according to God's commandments and becoming accountable. As men, we have to strive to be examples of integrity, guiding families and communities towards a life centered on Jesus through faith. Amen? Number four, nurturing and protecting. I know, men, listen to me. Soften up for a second. Nurturing. While the Bible often emphasizes men as providers and protectors, it also highlights their role as nurturers. Just as a father tenderly cares for his children, God portrays himself this way. Okay, so who should we be looking for for uh, masculine ideas? Who's better than God, right? Nobody's better than God, right? So look at what uh, Psalm 103.13 says. 
Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So the Lord just accepts you. So the Lord checks the box that you're in heaven. No, he has compassion. And when you think about his compassion, I would, I would uh, encourage you to look no further than the story of the prodigal son. This level of compassion says when your child turns around, when something is righted that was wrong, something was lost and now is found, that you show such compassion that you would tackle your children or those that you love and you would put them in that place of honor and love them with everything you have. Throw them a party and spend time and energy on them. That's what godly masculinity looks like, okay? So we need to understand this. Men are called to embody this nurturing. Uh, provided, providing a safe and nurturing environment for their loved ones, uh, which is, I think, something that you must do if you're a father. It's something that you must do or should try to do with your wife if you are together. Um, here's, a challenging, here's a challenging statistic for you. Um, and this will probably uh, unsettle some. It's, we can talk more about it if you really are frustrated with it. So 80% of those found in, incarcera- in incarceration right now uh, come from single-family homes. 80% of those incarcerated come from single-family homes. 70% of that 80% came from single-mother homes. Statistically, hear me. Let's lower our defenses just for a second because I know they're about to show up. Statistically, There is no difference, I'm being serious right now, statistically there is no difference between a mother and father home and a father only home. What's the most important home that we all say? It's a mother and a father together, that's important. Statistically though, it is shown that there is no difference between a mother and father home and an only father home. Does that show you how important fathers are? It should not belittle mothers, please. It is not intended to do so. But it is intended to magnify something that this culture does not believe. If you ask everybody in this county, which is the better home, mother homes or father homes, if it happens to be a divorced family, 90% of people, I guarantee it, that's just me guessing, are going to say, I trust mom more than dad. That is not statistically what is true. Now, why is that true? This is where nuance matters. So everybody's like, wait a second, wait a second. It is statistically true that men make more money than women. That's also statistically true. And so if you're raised in an only father household, what do you have access to that you don't might not have with your mom only. More money, more opportunity for certain things. It may be that that's the reason for it before all the women in this room kill me with their eyes, right? It may be that that's the reason. I don't know. I want to sit with this study and think through all of the implications and all the ideas. But what I want you to realize is that fathers are vital, Fathers are vital. So men, you don't just have a small responsibility. You have a responsibility to nurture and to care and to create an environment for those around you so that they can thrive. And then for all the men who have just simply abandoned their wives, the men who don't do their part, I can just simply say, repent and turn your stupid self around. 
It's a problem. You're causing more problems, right? So men are called to embody this nurturing spirit, and they're to provide these environments for their loved ones. That's masculine. But guess what? That does not say women can't. I'm simply talking to men. You must do this. Whether it be through emotional support, guidance, encouragement, we can emulate God's love by fostering growth and well-being in everyone around us. Number five, emotional courage and vulnerability. Biblical masculinity encourages emotional courage and vulnerability. King David, man after God's heart, I already mentioned him, openly expresses his emotion. He pours out his joys, pours out his sorrows, shares every fear he seems to have, right? Psalm 34, 17 through 18. Look at what it says. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Men, we can be brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed. We can be crushed in spirit, right? By embracing our emotions and seeking God's comfort, we cultivate emotional intelligence. We cultivate that sympathy game that we need to understand, resilience, enriching our relationships, and even fostering well-being. All of this is part of what we're supposed to be doing as godly fathers, as godly men. Emotional courage and vulnerability. Six, and the last one, brotherhood and unity. I have said this so many times, it's ridiculous. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. You are not on your own. You never have been, and you are not allowed to be called to it. You don't get to say, God called me to leave the church because all those people are judgmental and all we're thinking is you're the problem, (laughs) right? So you don't get to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You are called to community. And if you want to understand biblical masculinity, you will understand that men cultivate brotherhoods and unity among one another, okay? Now, that is all kinds of diverse. It doesn't mean you have to join the golf crew. doesn't mean you have to right? There's all kinds of different ways to do this. But please understand, you need brothers in arms. You need people around you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 beautifully states, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Uh, Men can find strength and support in genuine friendships, offering encouragement, accountability, also companionship. Uh, We saw this in King David with Jonathan. We see a friendship that is unreal, the level of friendship that they have. And I encourage you to read that in the scripture so that you can see the picture that's painted there. Uh, By building meaningful connections with other men, we create a community that uplifts and inspires us to live out uh, godly masculinity. So how do we wrap all this stuff up on this Father's Day? In the world that often confuses and distorts the concepts of masculinity, And in a church that plays a part in the confusion, the Bible offers a guide to us to embrace godly masculinity. It calls us to lead, but that means to serve, okay? It calls us to find strength rooted in God's power, but it also calls us to be strong, self-controlled, meek, power under control kind of men, right? It calls us to uphold integrity and righteousness. Those are the calls of masculine fathers and men. It's call us to nurture and to protect those around us. It's calling us to embrace emotional courage, 
to be vulnerable with one another, to foster brotherhood, and to become unified with other people around you. As men of faith, we have the opportunity to redefine masculinity if we will align ourselves with a biblical principle that reflects the character of Jesus and our Heavenly Father and not the culture or not uh, the church fad at the time. Through our actions and words, we actually can inspire others to a different identity and to a different level of love and respect and compassion. So, as we remember that embracing godly masculinity is not a solitary journey, right? I want you to, I want you to resolve in yourself, men. I want you to resolve in yourself to commit time to go to God's word, to read up on what it means to be a godly man. Okay, I want you to get together with another brother, uh, another person that is following after God, and I want you to I want you to listen to what their their thoughts are. I would encourage you to ask for a review of yourself from your family. This is where vulnerability starts to suck. Okay, I would ask you to sit down, call a family meeting. This would be awesome. Call a family meeting. Sit down and say, what am I doing well and what am I not doing well? And when they tell you, listen. And ask them for help on how to fix it. Because the people, people, this is just a little bit of a, a sidetrack. People who offer criticism with no solutions are a pain in the neck, right? But people who offer criticism... I think well-meaning people who offer criticism also have an idea of a solution, right? So not only ask them for a critique, but ask them for ways to get better, okay? And listen, men, and this, I'm guilty of this, so I'm, I'm going to use this as an example, not pointing at anybody, but actually look in the mirror. If your kid comes up to you and says, I'd really rather you not be on your phone all day, criticism enough. Put it down, Right? If your family says to you, I'd just like to go to dinner with you. I'd like for you to be present. How many of you have heard that phrase today? Right? Be present. If they ask you to be present, be present. Take the criticism. Accept the criticism. And try to answer the call to be a better father, to be a better man. Okay? These are very important. You need to seek out God's word. You need to seek other people. You need to get a review. You need to ask the Spirit of God to actually teach you. How many men in this room are stubborn? I'm waiting. I'm waiting, Tim. I'm waiting. Look, Ben Bird literally gave me a this. That's the highest his hand has gone in 12 years. It's amazing, right? This is... How many of you are stubborn? Yes, I know you are, and so do your families. You just won't admit it, right? But here's the important thing. I want you to ask God to break that heart, right? Ask him to soften you. Ask him to, to get you to lower your defenses. There is nothing wrong with being told you are wrong. There is something deeply wrong with knowing you're wrong and never doing a thing about it. That's a problem. You're just stubborn, and it's not getting you anywhere. Together as men, I think we can be united in purpose. We can actually, uh, we can be that, that city on a hill. We can shine, not to the exclusion of women, not to the exclusion of our children, not to the exclusion of the rest of the church, but just to do our job. 
right? We can transform our families. We can transform the community. We can transform the world if we'll take it serious enough, right? So I hope that we will seek this wisdom. I hope that we'll, we'll do, I hope that you'll do all the things that I've asked you to do. Seek the scriptures, find accountability, ask for a review, pray that the Spirit guides you to break any stubbornness and any uh, resistance to this idea, and then lead. Just lead well. Be the people that God has called you to be. Amen? Lord, thank you for this day. We praise you and we, we ask, Lord, that you would, you would shape us. We want so desperately to look like your word says we're supposed to look. We so desperately want to look, want to look like your son. I pray specifically, Lord, that as we go into this, um, as we go into a, a day celebrating fathers, that every man in this room, every father in this room, everyone listening online would take this message seriously. And Father, every person that is hearing this, that is there for help and for uh, encouragement and for um, even review and criticism done rightly in this room, I pray that you would work on the hearts of those who would, who would call their husbands or the men in their lives to a greater way of living. I pray, Lord, that the way they would do so would not be through a lens of comparison and would not be through uh, an agenda of guilt or shame, but out of genuine compassion and love out of genuine desire to see that husband or that man um, look like you more every day. Father, we need help all around in a call like this. We need help all around in, in looking the way you want us to look. So I do pray that you would help each and every one of us as we, as we uh, push forward in a call to look more like godly men. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.